we've been looking for the last uh, number of weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we've been just breaking this down, taking it apart piece by piece as we consider uh, what it means as people of the Spirit, the pneumaticos of God, to live a life of prayer. What does that look like for us? And Jesus gives us a framework in this prayer that we have come to know and call the Lord's Prayer. And we're looking at that again today as we have been considering in this framework that Jesus gives us in this prayer, He gives us steps. uh, Steps to living a life of prayer. to, To being a people that have more than just a prayer life, but we live a life of prayer. Prayer isn't just a category in our life. It's just not one part of many parts. But we live a life. Our lives are prayer. Our lives are prayers individually. Our lives are praying all the time as we live and move and have our being. And Jesus gives us a framework for this in in the Lord's Prayer. Look at this together with me. We're looking at verses 9 to 13. 9 to 13 in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And if you don't have a Bible here with you today, uh, perhaps someone sitting near you will share theirs. If you need a Bible, let us know. We, uh, we'd love to give you one as a gift for you to keep. Jesus says this, verse 9. Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this. And again, this is a framework. It's a a template. It's a model. Jesus isn't saying every time you pray, you need to pray exactly these words. He's saying, let me give you a framework. And it needs to include these components, these steps. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in Mark's Gospel, Mark also includes these words for Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, we have this framework that Jesus gives us. And we've been looking at the different steps, the different parts of that, the different forms of faith in recent weeks. And uh, there's a slide here that outlines all of these different faith steps that we've looked at. And if you weren't with us, uh, get the messages. Visit our website. We're in the process, by the way, of upgrading our website and hopefully setting up our own podcasts. And you can actually subscribe through Apple Music, Apple iTunes, and it'll be free. And that's all in the works. But you can visit our website right now and, and actually get our messages there. Or if you are... You know, of the old school of CDs, uh, you can order a CD that you can plug in and listen to as well. So we've been looking at these steps. Step one, confident faith. 
then transforming faith, responsible faith, dependent faith. And then this morning, we're looking at this next step that Jesus gives us, releasing faith. Would you say that with me? Releasing faith. And forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive our debtors or those who sin against us. This is the next step that Jesus gives us in this prayer. And it addresses our obvious need for forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. Every one of us. Unlike some religions in which every single action carries eternal and unbreakable consequences, at the heart of Judaism and Christianity lies the belief that though human actions matter very deeply, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible. And through God's love, forgiveness can become actual. Jesus assumes here that we will need to ask for forgiveness not on one or two rare occasions, but very regularly. How many think Jesus knows us pretty good? He knows that forgiveness is something that we are not going to have to just occasionally ask for, but it will be a regular part of our lives. Some people use the word trespasses. And while most translations use the word debts for this portion of the prayer in verse 12, both expressions really are accurate and significant. In fact, we need to pray both ways. For in these two expressions, we see the two sides of human disobedience. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Wrong things we have done and right things we've neglected to do. Commission. Wrong things that we've We've carried out omission, right things that we should have done, but we haven't done. Forgive us our trespasses. Say it with me. Forgive us our trespasses. It it speaks to our need of asking the Lord to forgive us for having stepped over the line. That's what it means. Forgive us for stepping over the line. You see, God is concerned about trespassing because He wants to keep us from the things that will damage and destroy us. In His Word, in the Scriptures, He sets clear protective guidelines for us. Territorial boundaries, if you will, that say, do not trespass. Do not trespass. And he's not doing that to make our lives difficult and to, you know, constrain us and make our lives joyless. He's doing that to protect us, to keep us from destroying ourselves to keep us from destructive, damaging things that will destroy us. 
In His Word, He sets these guidelines for that very purpose. And when we violate those commands that are intended to help us avoid that which is self-destructive, we are guilty of the sins of commission. We've committed sins. We've carried them out. Things done. On the other hand, forgive us our debts, as that expression is used. Forgive us our trespasses, but forgive us our debts. That relates to our failures, to cases where it might be said that we owed it to the situation to do better than we did. But in failing to act rightly, we become debtors. And such indebtedness can hang like a cloud over our souls. How many know what I'm talking about? It can hang like a cloud over our souls, like the clouds that hang over our skies this time of year. Hindering our sense of freedom and faith for the future. With this phrase that Jesus gives us of asking forgiveness, Christ fashions this dual dimension of release into our regular pattern of prayer, our lives of prayer. It's a request for release from both the shame of guilt and the pain of neglect. The shame of guilt for those sins of commission that we've carried out and the pain of neglect for the things we should have done but didn't and we left owing to the situation or to the individual and so we're a debtor to that. So in order to grasp the power potential in this prayer for forgiveness that Jesus gives us here, beloved, we need to see that both of these phrases, forgive us our debts, and the phrase, as we forgive our debtors, say them both with me again, will you? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to see that these two phrases are conditionally linked. Jesus links them. Jesus specifically teaches that the degree of our forgiveness, please hear this and listen closely. He teaches that the degree of our forgiveness, our willingness to release others, establishes a standard of measurement. In other words, He gives back to us to that same measure of release and forgiveness that we show to others. I'll say that again. He gives back to us the same measure of release and forgiveness that we show to others. And this fact brings us to the very heart of life's most practical truth. Everyone's life. It, I, it doesn't matter who you are in this room today. It, everyone's life in the world around us, we are brought 
to the heart of one of the most practical truths of life and living. If I do not move in God's dimension of release and forgiveness toward others, I will inevitably become an obstruction to my own life and my own growth and my own fruitfulness. Please see this, beloved. Forgiveness is reciprocal. That is, forgiving, releasing faith goes both ways. We must confess our own violations against God and we must forgive others whom we believe have violated us. You see, the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain blocked from receiving God's own forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. And the heart that does not open to this will remain blocked from receiving God's own forgiveness. Are you seeing this? This is serious stuff. This is hard stuff. But it is so crucial to the vitality of our lives. These two lines right here in verse 12 essentially summarize Jesus' kingdom vision for His followers, for you, for me. Forgiveness from God and our forgiving others are tied together by Jesus. Releasing faith. That's what we're looking at today. Releasing faith. As we live lives of prayer, we are to exercise releasing faith. And that says that I release others by forgiving. And as I do, I too will be set free. You release others by forgiving them, and as you do, you too will be set free. Now, I know, I know as well as you do, this jars, this jolts, this rubs up against our Christian sensibilities. It seems so counterintuitive to us. But that is precisely why Jesus says it as he does. He wants to get our attention here because this is so important. We need to hear how connected our forgiveness and God's forgiveness are. Not so that we'll go about trying to earn our forgiveness by forgiving others. That's that's not what it's about at all. Please don't misunderstand. We're not trying to earn our forgiveness by forgiving others but it's so that we will see the utter importance of and make effort to being people who forgive. In forgiving others, we extend God's grace beyond our own lives. If we don't forgive others, we show that we are not really forgiven. 
forgiven people forgive others. Hello? Say it with me, will you? Forgiven people forgive others. We forgive because we've been forgiven. I have been forgiven such an incredible debt. And I am continually being forgiven in the grace of God. And so I must be a forgiving person myself. In the same way that I have been forgiven. In the same way that I have freely received God's forgiveness, I must freely give His forgiveness to others and my forgiveness to others. Are you seeing this? Jesus links this together. You cannot separate it. God's gracious and generous forgiveness finds a moral compass of forgiveness in the life of the follower of Jesus without compromising the priority of grace. This is, this is at the very heart of being countercultural people of the kingdom. People of the Spirit. This is at the very heart of it for us. I don't know that we have witnessed a more powerful demonstration of this most recently uh, than what we saw demonstrated at the beginning of this month during the week that Amber Geiger, a former Dallas police officer, if you followed this in the news, Amber Geiger, a former Dallas police officer, was convicted and sentenced in the murder of Botham Jean. And at her sentencing, Jean's brother, Brant Jean, offered Geiger his forgiveness. The, the video has been just hot and trending, and you can watch this online. Brandt offered Geiger his forgiveness from the stand. In fact, he said, he said, I can't speak for anyone else. I'm not even speaking for my family. I'm just speaking for me. I, I forgive you. And, and I, in fact, I don't even want you to go to jail. I want you to come to Jesus. It was a powerful moving demonstration of forgiveness. And he turns to the judge and says, is it okay if I give her a hug? And you can see them embracing. I have an image on the screen of them embracing in the courtroom. It was a deeply private and moving moment that generated a huge amount of public controversy. An act of personal forgiveness. Born of Brant John's own faith and personal forgiveness in Christ Himself. And it was mired, it's been mired in the complex landscape of American racism and police brutality, both past and present. Across the political spectrum, people pounced on the moment to make their already long-established point. And, and this included the clearly wrong point that what Geiger did was not bad. As well as the correct point 
that there are legitimate questions about how, against the backdrop of America's horrific racial history, black forgiveness of injustice has been weaponized in the service of white supremacy. But here's the point. The point is this. Just as Brant Jean's forgiveness of his brother's killer. Please, please listen and hear this closely because this is what Jesus is getting at here in our passage today. Just as Brant Jean's forgiveness of his brother's killer should not be used to dismiss the injustice of his brother's death, these legitimate questions about a culturally and historically specific rhetorical phenomenon that's going on should never, should never, least of all for Christ followers, they should never serve as an excuse to reject forgiveness as the best and only sustainable path forward. Do you know what was clear in the public reaction of that moment as everybody watched this happen? What was clear in the public reaction of that moment of grace, that human act of pardon and forgiveness, what was clear was how deeply uncomfortable we all are with forgiveness, with mercy with grace. But the grand truth is this, loved ones. The grand truth is forgiveness and grace are tools by which God is and will continue to repair the broken cosmos. That The means through which the Creator will at last restore His whole creation. And our ability to participate as people of the Spirit, our ability to participate in this grand restoration is an act of the divine economy. It's a blessing, not a burden. And ultimately, it's not something that needs us. God could do it alone. How many know that? He could do it alone. But He has set up and chosen. He prefers to do it with us. He wants us to be agents of that same forgiveness and grace with which we have been forgiven. Are you seeing this? And Brant John's forgiveness of Amber Geiger is a prophetic picture of that for us. Beloved, it's quiet in here. I know. I, I get it. it that, this is where the Lord's Prayer partakes in Jesus' demanding kingdom ethic to us. It demonstrates that new creation in Christ is already at work. God is good, gracious, loving, and forgiving. God offers forgiveness. Jesus is teaching a kingdom perspective on how to deal with those who have sinned against us. 
And since the kingdom is a world of reconciliation, kingdom people are to be people of forgiveness and reconciliation. We are to be people who forgive. He's staring into the faces of fellow Israelites, Jesus is. Remember this. This day as Jesus is teaching this, He's staring into the faces of fellow Israelites who do not know and understand the grace of loving enemies. They don't get that. In fact, they want to appeal and appeal quickly to what they knew as the Lex Talionis. The Lex Talionis, it was the law of retaliation. We know that law, don't we? Maybe we've never called it that, but we know it. We live it. We feel it. Hello? How many in the room ever feel that retaliation? Hello? Am I the only one? I'm feeling awfully alone up here today. None of you have ever experienced this. I just need to go see a therapist myself or something. It's your problem, pastor, not ours. The law of retaliation. They want to become judges like God themselves. These listeners of Jesus needed to hear, as do we, as do I, as do you, that forgiveness is the way kingdom living works. Forgiveness is the way people of the Spirit operate. Those who genuinely love others forgive. Those who don't are not kingdom people. They're not people of the Spirit, truly. So important to Jesus is forgiving others that He teaches His followers to ask God for forgiveness for themselves and to forgive others because we are grace-receiving and grace-releasing people. We are grace-receiving and grace-releasing people. So let's, just for a moment, let's look at this forgiveness and grace. This matter of forgiveness and grace a little more closely. Let's zoom, let's zoom in the lens a little more closely here to what Jesus is getting at. Notice that by emphasizing our need for forgiveness of sin, Jesus isn't shaking a stick of condemnation in our faces. That's not what Jesus is doing. The fact of our guilt isn't the issue here. The real problem is that we need to be taught to pray for forgiveness. It needs to be a component of our lives of prayer. We are all people bent and fractured from God's original design and purpose and intention for us. All of us. Not one of us is flawless. Sorry to break the news to you today. If I'm just bursting your bubble, none of us is flawless. Someone hand 
that person beside you a tissue because they may just break into weeping in the realization that none of us is flawless. No one of us is without selfishness. No one of us is without pride. All of us have failed. And that includes this dude up here too. All of us have failed. Sin is an inherited inclination in us all. And it needs to be forgiven. That's what Jesus is underlining for us. The call to pray this prayer is the promise that it will be answered and you will be forgiven. We need to pray, forgive me, Father. And we need to pray it often. However, the Lord's Prayer is not meant to level a focus on guilt and condemnation, but rather to bring focus to love and grace. Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness on a regular basis, not to remind us of our sinfulness, but to keep us from becoming sloppy in our ideas about the love and the grace of God. That is to say, we give in to the deception that we can do anything we want because God's love and grace covers us. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Romans 6, 1 and 2 makes this clear. Read it together with me, will you? Nice and loud. Let's fill the room. It's on the screen for us. So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, okay, so, so God's grace covers us. So the, are we to think then that the more we sin, the greater God's grace will be? No. Don't do that. What a terrible thought, he says. Continue with me. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? So in praying, Father, forgive us our debts as we pray, we, we, are, we are keeping ourselves from getting slack and sloppy with God's, God's grace and His mercy. The late great German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he called this distorted idea of grace cheap grace. He said cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks, wares. In other words, something that's hawked and pawned. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut bargain bin prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price. Grace without cost. Cheap grace. The essence of grace, we suppose, 
is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace. And Jesus says, I don't want you to fall into the deception of this cheap grace thinking. But I want your heart and your perspective and your attitude to remain sturdy and strong regarding what my grace and my forgiveness really is all about. So it's important that you pray regularly, Father, forgive me. In calling us to pray, forgive our trespasses, Jesus isn't seeking to remind us of our failures, rubbing our faces in them, but He does want to sensitize us to sin and to the fact that sin hinders our growth in Him. God's forgiveness is graciously offered and abundantly available. In the Scriptures, He warmly invites us again and again to pardon and to cleansing and to release. Psalm 103 tells us He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. What a powerful picture. You try to join east and it, it, you, you can't. Micah tells us, the prophet, once again, you will have compassion on us. He's speaking of God. You will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. 1 John 1 verse 9, perhaps many of you know this for memory, but if we freely admit our sins, when His light uncovers them, He will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive our sins because of Christ, and he will, for, he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we ask for forgiveness, His forgiveness can be counted on. Turn to somebody and tell them you can count on His forgiveness. The condition? Confession. It's presented clearly and the availability is promised. He can be depended on to forgive us. Forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace. Now, let's zoom in a little more closely before we finish up with this. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Would you say that with me? Forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus also describes forgiveness as being relayed not only to us, but it's something to be relayed through us to others. So while God's grace delivers us, it also demands something of us. God's Word expands and applies the truth that we who have received forgiveness 
need to in turn be forgiving. Jesus directs us to go to anyone who has something against us. We talked about passing the peace earlier in the service. That's what this is. Go to anyone, Jesus says, who has something against us. And in an attitude of humility and forgiveness, rectify our relationship with that person. And he says this must be done before we can make any serious, honest approach to him in worship. Read it together with me. Jesus' words in Matthew and in in Mark. It's on the screen. Let's declare these words together. Nice and loud, if you will. So then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize with the one who is offended. And then after you have reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. Jesus knew that unforgiveness would hinder our worship. So to find release in worship, forgiveness must be extended. Mark's words, the next slide. Let's continue reading together. Declare this word of Jesus. And whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him or her and forgive so that your Father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults. You see the linking again there. Jesus joins these two phrases together. When we go to one another for reconciliation, we must be certain we are not doing so in in an attempt to justify ourselves. That's not reconciliation. That's retaliation, again, creeping up. And we can spiritualize this stuff pretty good. We go to someone to seek reconciliation, but really what we're doing in our hearts is just seeking to justify ourselves. If someone has a difference of opinion or another problem with us, regardless of whose fault it is, God will not allow us to make any charge against that person. Christ desires that we be willing to go the extra mile and assume the role of an of reconciler just as he did for us in reconciling us to the father he took the initiative jesus took the initiative god so loved that he gave he took the initiative with us and in reconciliation we must take that same initiative Understand that people often perceive a situation. This is getting pretty practical for us now. Please pay attention to these, these truths. Understand that people often perceive a situation as the opposite of how it really is. And, and knowing that will help you act as Christ commands us here. For example, if you've been offended, you may be completely unaware of the viewpoint of the person who has hurt you. 
to the other person, it will often seem as though he or she was the one violated and you are at fault. Or it may be a situation where the person who has hurt you may be completely unaware that they have hurt you. It was something completely inadvertent, unintentional. And in this particular case where you must forgive them, there's no benefit to going to them and saying, I forgive you. They don't know that they've hurt you. And you go to them and say, I forgive you. You're not really going to tell them you forgive them. You're going to kind of justify yourself. How many are tracking with me here? Because if you go to them and there's no awareness on their part and you go to them and you say, I forgive you, it only serves to be counterproductive every time unless it's to a person that you know is yearning for you to forgive them. But if that's not the case, all you're going to do is create a stir with which you will not be able to cope. The truth is, it would only be a subtle attempt to justify ourselves, perhaps a subversive form of retaliation. And, and in response, that person will say to you, you forgive me. For what? And that makes you feel even much better, doesn't it? They don't know. It's been my experience. Please hear my heart today. It's been my experience that nine out of ten people that I have had to forgive sincerely do not feel that they have done anything wrong. But it's up to me to forgive them from my heart. I don't go to them and say, I just want you to know that I forgive you. Because they don't have a clue. However I was hurt, they have no knowledge of. Could have been inadvertent, unintentional. And I go to them and I forgive you. And they're, what for? And then you've got to unload everything. You got to bring all the laundry out. Tell them. And that stirs something up. And how many know this is not becoming a good situation? Nine out of ten people that I have had to forgive sincerely do not feel that they have done anything wrong. It's up to me. It's up to me to forgive them from my heart and then commit to keep quiet about it. And I haven't always been good at this. I want you to know that this has been a trial and error process in my life. Total forgiveness is to reconcile your heart and attitude concerning them before the Lord and release the one who has hurt you, saying, Father, forgive them, and I forgive them. For they do not know what they have done. You remember those words? 
Jesus spoke them from the cross. Father, these people have no idea what they're doing. In fact, they think they're carrying out righteousness. They think they're doing the right thing. They have no knowledge or perception of what they're doing. They do not know what they're doing, but Father, I commit them into your hands. Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And there are times in our lives, nine times out of ten in mine, where that's what we have to do. We don't go and unload on them, and I forgive you, and here's why, and blah, 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 blah. And we spiritually vomit all over them and say, I've forgiven you. For all that, I've forgiven you. <laughs> have we really? <laughs> because if we have, we wouldn't be there doing that. We have to commit them into the hands of the... They have no knowledge, no wonder. Father, I commit them into your hands. They do not know what they have done. I forgive them. You see, the effects of sin and Satan's discord in our lives makes us all terribly vulnerable to natural misunderstandings. And we need to learn this point of human understanding. Now, now please hear me. I'm talking about our day-to-day relationships that we share and natural misunderstandings that happen uh, recurringly in our lives, just in the dynamics of our relationships. I'm not talking about special situations here where there has been abuse of some kind and you must forgive the one who has abused you physically, verbally, sexually, whatever the case might be. Forgiveness does need to happen there. But, but th- with that, that is not a rubber stamp that says you just immediately trust those individuals again. Forgiveness, let's make that distinction. Forgiveness does not mean we just automatically trust that abuser again. We think that. We think, well, I can't forgive because if I forgive, then i got to trust them again, and I can't trust them, so therefore I can't forgive them. No, 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 no. We forgive. But we live forward in wisdom and grace, and we realize that a trust has been broken. Uh, those, are, those are very, very, uh, very acute cases, intense cases where forgiveness... I'm talking here today about our day-to-day living and our, our interactions with people and stuff that happens, things that get said, things that get done, often inadvertently and unintentionally, sometimes not, sometimes it is intentional. Something's said, something's done, a gesture is made, an attitude is demonstrated, whatever it may be. In a multicultural setting, much of this happens between cultures all the time, and we must learn grace and understanding with each other so that we can live better together as people of the Spirit and extend forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm talking about those day-to-day relating with one another. You understanding what I'm saying? In the day-to-day, the effects of sin and Satan's discord in our lives make us terribly vulnerable to natural misunderstandings, and we need to learn this point of human understanding. We must acknowledge it in order to open up the reconciling process amongst ourselves. 
And then when we become willing to go to others, recognizing that their attitudes toward us are likely based on something they perceive as being our fault or something else, when we accept the burden of misunderstanding, that's what we're talking about. We accept the burden of misunderstanding as Jesus accepted that burden in order to bring peace between God and man. When we do that, a real release can be realized in us and in our midst. Let's learn to accept the responsibility for whatever dispute has breached our relationship with others. Let's accept responsibility, our responsibility in it. Let's keep short accounts with one another. Hello? Let's keep short accounts. Take your ledger and start to downsize it. What do you mean, my ledger? We all keep ledgers in one way or another. And every time we see that person, out comes the ledger. Well, there's this, 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 and this. How many know what I'm talking about? Keep short accounts. We've got to keep short accounts with each other. Restored relationships are possible. When in Christ-like manner we live out the meaning of this lesson. This lesson right here. Forgive me as I forgive others. Naturally, there may be times when the most loving scriptural stand we can take is to confront others with their wrongdoing. There are times when that, that, that should and needs to happen. Jesus did so, and the Holy Spirit will show us when we're to do that. But the spirit of forgiveness never does this in self-defense, in self-justifying in a way that seeks to personally vindicate ourselves. Hello? Rather, it operates in the attitude of reconciliation and peacemaking. Brothers, sisters, beloved friends, listen, I get it. This kingdom order of forgiveness is not easy will not always be easy. By nature, we all prefer to be in the driver's seat. Hello? Getting our justice. Getting our justice. Making, we're going to fit... We want to control the situation. However, the ministry of reconciliation always puts us at the mercy of the other person's responses or reactions instead. Just as it did for Jesus. It makes us vulnerable. Just as it did for Jesus. The most vulnerable picture that has marked the history of mankind is the picture of Christ on the cross. 
He was so incredibly vulnerable. He made himself vulnerable for you, for me, for humankind, every people group of the world. And then he calls us to do the same, to make ourselves vulnerable to the other person's responses and reactions because this is where Jesus, where he exactly put himself when he laid down his life to make forgiveness available to us. I'm not saying, and nor is Jesus, that God has called us to be someone else's doormat that just lets everybody step on us all the time. That's, that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. We are called, we are called to learn Christ's pathway to dominion. And to do so is to see that this kingdom path to power is the spirit of the Lamb. The Spirit of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's never one of self-defense. There's no greater step upward in faith that we can take than when we learn to forgive and do it. Forgiveness blesses people who need our love and acceptance and it releases them, and it releases us to be set free toward bright and brilliant horizons of joy and health and dynamic faith in living the life of prayer. This is faith that releases. Would you stand together with me as Philip and the team come? Listen, please, as we close and conclude I know what time it is. And I know that we've gone a little bit further this morning. But this is an important subject. This is a serious matter, beloved. Please listen. There are those in this room. I don't know specifically who you are but you need to forgive. You need to forgive that family member. You need to forgive that friend. You need to forgive that coworker. You need to forgive that boss. You need to forgive your spouse. your son, your daughter, the person you're standing next to today. You need to go and you need to reconcile. Or perhaps it is a situation they have no knowledge of and you need to commit them and forgive in your heart. Forgive them in your heart and commit them to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I forgive. You forgive them too because they don't know what they've done. This is what's happened. They don't know about it. They have no awareness. And I'm not going to go dump that on them. But I need to forgive them. And I forgive them. And I ask that you forgive them as well.